0: This is Omo. This is Omo. This is Omo. This
1: is Omo. This is Omo. This is Omo. This is Omo.
2: This is Omo. This is Omo. This
0: is Omo. This
1: is Omo. This
0: is Omo. This is Omo. This is Omo. Hello, Omo sapiens. I am Brandon Godman, coming to you from San Francisco, California, where it is actually sunny today on this beautiful February day. Um, And I'm being joined with none other than Rosie Deloach.
1: Well, hello. Uh, I'm coming to you from Richardson, Texas, where the weather is terrible.
0: Oh, no. Well, I'm happy to see you, Rosie. It's been since last year that I've seen your face and heard your voice.
1: Yeah. It's really good to see you, even though you and I are both struggling with off and on illness. Um, yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Off and on good health. We'll just say that. There you go.
1: <laughs> and uh, you, we've got an update episode today. You want to tell us who we've got?
0: Yeah, we're um, thrilled to be bringing you the what is now sort of like um, the second episode of the Pernambuco issue, back when we presented to you guys and gals um, in... October, we talked about Pernambuco, what was coming up in November when the CITES summit was going to be happening in Panama, and the big vote that Mm -hmm. we were waiting on, uh, which was, were they going to move Pernambuco to Appendix 1, um, making it there for as illegal as say tortoiseshell or ivory or something like that.
1: We were not sure.
0: We were not sure and we were <laughs> sitting at the VSA down the whole convention during um while this meeting was happening and everyone was checking their bows and every time we would see, you know, the various bow folks who were in the know, I would be like, "Hey, any news? Any news from Panama?" you know, and one of the guys that I continually tried to ask um any updates from is none other than young chin from new york city and young is one of the premier experts in bows in the united states a um very very talented bow maker a celebrated bow maker he's been involved with publications um one specifically on kittle um Young started his bow making career with William Salco in New York and then moved on to open up his own shop in 1987 from which he has served some of the finest players in the world. Um, And Young has been a, I first met Young when I was helping Bruce Babbitt um, tote around some of the bows for the VSA that were going to be presented in the German bow exhibition that was happening back in 2018 we made a trek from Ohio to New York city visited with Isaac Salco and then with young. And we had a bunch of bows that were just in question, you know, ones that we didn't know the answers about. And I say we, it was Bruce. Um, but I was, I've always been a German bow nut. So
1: you have, you always were.
0: I have, (laughs) I, uh, I kind of nudged my way in and was welcomed into the trip. Um, to just go and kind of be a fly on the wall. And, uh, it was great because we walked into Young's workshop and Young said hello to Bruce and Bruce introduced me and Young said, Oh yeah, let me see your bow tattoo. Yeah. And I thought, wait, how do you, I don't know you that well. How do you know about my bow tattoo? And apparently he had heard about my bow tattoo, which I now very fondly refer to as my elbow. Nice. Because it's on my forearm. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> At any rate, it was just a fun thing that young Chin knew my tattoo before he knew me. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, But we got along great that day. He was finishing up with a client and he said, yeah, just open up some boxes over there and feast your eyes for a little bit. And Bruce and I definitely did because he had some beautiful examples of all types of beautiful bows. Um, Mm. And he's been a person who I've been. Thankful to be able to call and ask questions to randomly. And he's always been gracious with his time and with his knowledge as well. So very happy to get him on this episode today.
1: Yeah. And he's he's being gracious with his time again for us and to help us better understand the moving parts happening with uh, everybody's bow. Yeah. Uh, I do want to do a quick refresher for some of the terminology that we discussed in the last episode, which is, what, was that six months ago now?
0: Yes. Rosie, please spritz us with your Pernambuco knowledge.
1: Yeah. So we, we've got the IPCI, the International Pernambuco Conservation Initiative, of which Young Chin is the president.
0: He's the international chair, yes.
1: Yeah. Um, we have CITES, the Convention on Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Um, They have a major influence on trade. And then we've got IBAMA. That is the organization that I can't pronounce it (laughs) in (laughs) Portuguese. (laughs) Is it Portuguese? It is, right?
0: Yes. Okay. We will Um, spell it I-B-A-M-A, IBAMA. Yes.
1: And they're basically the Pernambuco police, uh, among other types of exotic Mm -hmm. materials. Um, And they have power to enforce stuff within Brazil. Um and when we talk with Young later on, we talk a little bit about what's happened in the election since then. What we yes. didn't talk about is um a more recent major raid that Obama did.
0: Don't forget about the Alliance. The, oh my uh, gosh, yeah.
1: I can't forget about okay. Don't
0: forget about the Alliance. I thought it was Alliance, but then I heard it. I did too. Pronounced Alliance a whole bunch during the VSA convention.
1: This is the story of my life. Is just Me mispronouncing too. things hey. in this industry.
0: You know, um, <laughs> I'm proud of my Kentucky education, though it was a good one. <laughs> um, but um, the Alliance is basically the extension of the um, international organization uh, based in France, actually. That this was their arm of conservation. And it is the um, organization that is currently doing most of the updates. So if you have any questions about this stuff, go to alliance-usa.org.
1: Yes. Thank you. Yes. So uh, unfortunately, since we last talked, there was a another major crackdown on Brazilwood smuggling. Uh, Brazilian authorities. Did we talk about Operation Do Re Mi in the last Do episode? We did, because you sang. Okay,
0: <laughs> I didn't. I didn't sing on that episode, but I've been <laughs> working on it, and I am sorry for all of you singers out there. I know I was a little sh- flat on my me, but
1: uh. yeah, <laughs> that operation was launched in twenty eighteen. Uh, since then, officers have confiscated almost one hundred and fifty thousand bows and wooden sticks from.
0: Oh my god, sorry. What? I have to stop. It's do re me, not do me so, like I sing, I have okay. to correct that. <laughs> I just have to correct that. Do re me.
1: Everyone with perfect pitch out there can <laughs> we sleep apologize. better. Okay, so people smuggling. Okay.
0: Smuggling.
1: Um 150,000 bows and wooden sticks from 33 different bow makers have been confiscated who together have been fined over $10 million for trading in undocumented wood, according to records from the Environmental Investigation Agency, IBAMA. Uh, And I will say that um, reading a little bit further, I I have no intention of naming any names. Um, If people want to look into that, you can find that information online. Um, I will say from those who did talk about their experience being caught, um, they have uh, some of them will will tell you that, well, I, I had certification, but I didn't get it in time, and there was a delay or and and are fighting the fines. Um, but but this is what is happening right now. Um, so, from the Obama officials, this is what they say. It is evident a group of archetiers have formed a large gang specialized in extracting Brazil wood from protected areas, transforming it into bows, and trading it abroad. They wrote in multiple reports related to Operation Do-Re-Mi calling for the urgent involvement of the public prosecutor's office and the federal police to deepen investigations into the destructive actions of these criminals. They use the word. On November 8th, officers from the federal police and Obama raided 37 properties connected to what they described as a criminal group of bowmakers as part of this operation. The police declined to confirm if these included any of the people and companies identified by reporters, which you can find online, uh, because their investigation is ongoing. Um, so uh, it's it's hitting people that some of us might know.
0: Yeah. And that's all unfolding. And it's not just because they're being investigated doesn't mean that they are guilty. Um, Mm -hmm. and none of us know their intention, you know, so we aren't here to cast judgment on any of the companies that have been involved, um, that are being involved and that will be involved because this is a far reaching thing. I'm sure it will affect everyone. And, I'm sure Young will have more information on all of that, but um, we are here to discuss the larger topic of Pernambuco. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do today.
1: Yeah, and I hope we can all get on more on the same page going forward, so that we can effect positive change. Yes. So, everyone, coming up after the break, we've got the one, the only Young Chen. Special thanks to Learning Trade Secrets for supporting this episode of Omo. I'd like to mention that I first met Bill at an LTS workshop. He is a well of information when it comes to making and a wonderful human as well. I cannot say enough about what a difference it can make in your work to have an accomplished set of eyes looking at your instrument. And while Bill can critique, he's nice about it. You can sign up for the Making Master Class Workshop July 30th through August 4th by visiting learningtradesecrets.com. There's lots of other great courses available through the summer months. Perhaps it's time you finally mastered your varnish game. Check out Classic Italian Varnish this May 7th through 12th with Chris Germain. Again, sign up today and level up your knowledge at learningtradesecrets.com.
2: Next time you're traveling through the Twin Cities, you'd be dull as a used fingerboard plane to miss visiting House of Note. Located in St. Louis Park, you'll find the people of House of Note taking care of players at every level from the beginner student to the Minnesota Orchestra performer. Don't you know? House of Note has built their reputation over the years on being kind, fair, and honest. Pop in and you're likely to find Jeff picking out hairs for a bowry hair, while nearby Lyle is getting the symmetry perfect on a cello neck set. You may find Erin carving a stellar bridge for a new violin setup while Nick perfects the fit of a soundpost patch, and Ty is putting that final polish on a new set of ebony pegs that fit just so. If you can't visit these guys in person, check out houseofnote.com, where you can view a wide selection of bows and showroom instruments or sign up for an instrument rental online. House of Note, by musicians, for musicians.
0: Okay, welcome back. We are here with one of our good friends and mentors and colleagues um, who we look up to and ask a lot of questions to, probably more than we should sometimes. We have Young Chin coming to us from New York City. Hey, Young. How are you? Doing good. How are you?
3: Fine, thank you. Hello, Rosie.
1: Hi, we're so glad to have you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Young.
3: My pleasure. Well,
1: guys, that I, now that I've got you here in the same space, we have some recaps since the last Pernambuco episode that we did in October. Uh, so three things I really want to go over, and then we'd love to ask you some further questions after that, Young. Uh, number one. We had the CITES vote in November. There was uh, a lot of drama leading up to this. What were we going to decide? What appendix were we going to classify Pernambuco? Uh, Following that, we had the uh, presidential election in Brazil that had more drama than I wanted. And third, (laughs) we had another major raid from Obama going after uh bow makers and uh Pernambuco collectors uh some people we know in the field which uh we'll state again later we we're not naming names today uh without further ado let's uh let's recap
0: so young when we were at the VSA back in November uh the CITES summit was happening down in Panama and I remember it was happening in real time with us at the VSA And every time I saw you, I just said, is there any news? Is there any news? And I know everyone was sitting on the edge of their seats that week because a lot was at stake. Can you tell us what happened?
3: Yeah. So uh, Brazil had proposed to put Pernambuco on uh, Appendix 1 of CITES. In 2007, they had put uh, Pernambuco on Appendix 2. But at that time, there was an exemption of the finished product coming out of Brazil, meaning Finnish bows were allowed to come out uh, without much documentation. But that has since changed. So at this meeting, we all expected, uh, we didn't know how this was going to go, would, would, would we go to an Appendix 1, which would be like tortoise shell or ivory, and in fact, nobody knew till the very end and we what happened is that they kept it at appendix 2. but Brazil had changed certain kind of regulations inside of Brazil, especially with regard to the finished product coming out of out of Brazil. So as of February 23rd, 2023, any bow that comes out of Brazil has to have a CITES documentation. But as something that both of you have alluded to, there was a change of government. We have new personnel. So new people are getting put in place. And as of today, uh, I don't think there is any kind of shipment yet because, uh, I would say mostly the, a, the people haven't been put in place by the Brazilian government and they have not finalized their policy.
1: And just to clarify, Young, when you say Appendix 1, that means it does not cross international borders, the material, period, whether it's finished or unfinished, correct?
3: It can only be traded with under special circumstances and highly controlled, but the general movement would, would finish as we see today. Okay. And that that
0: would put it on the same level as tortoiseshell, ivory, those types of things. Correct. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about some of our champions who were down there working on behalf of the musical instrument industry?
3: Yeah, so we have one gentleman, John Bennett, who has been representing us at CITES Movements for a long time, and he has put together a, a group with some European colleagues um, and also um, Heather Noonan, who's uh, – what's that? with Symphonic League, American Symphonic League, is that – or League of American Orchestras. I forget which one it's called. Okay. And uh, that group really represented the trade. We had the good fortune also of having certain kinds of um, Brazilian people that we have worked with who are not really with us, but they were at this meeting. And uh, they were actually very important speaking to the Brazilian people, uh, representatives for them to – have let's say this, have a larger view of the complexities of Pernambuco. Yeah. Which means the following, not this that this is only for the trade, meaning bow makers or shops, but the impact that it has uh, in totality in, in the whole arts world, which, as we all know, music is a integral part of uh, any kind of society. And, and I can say this, Brazil especially, who are people who love music and they themselves, the Brazilian government themselves have said that they don't want to do a policy that will have effects on the music around the world. And I think that was a pretty strong thing actually.
1: That's very comforting to hear.
3: Can you tell us a little bit about
0: your history with John Bennett? I know he's been working on behalf of, the pernambuco issue for quite a long time now
3: yes john i first met john when he was interim director of uh sting's ngo in new york and um i met him through somebody and we we hit it off immediately and i said to this person "Boy, well, i wish we could get john one day to be involved with ipci and they i say, well you'll never get it because you can't afford him." <laughs> through chance happenings and and uh I don't give up to easy. I always would say, "Hey, you know, would you like to, you know, help us one day?" He he eventually came and started helping us for nothing, by the way, which he still does today for IPCI. Wow! And uh, he loved it because he liked the cause of what we did—a small group of people who were able to affect a policy in Brazil—and actually, I'm I'm very happy to say that IPCI for all of its good things and, and, and bad things that people have said, it is, in fact, the one organization that was even cited, cited by Brazilian CITES officials and other CITES officials around the world as having actually tried to do something. The formation of the IPCI basically came from only bowmakers. And we basically put up all the money in the beginning to try to get the project off the ground. And I'm happy to say that the IPCI has been responsible probably for over 350,000 seedlings being planted in Brazil.
1: That's wonderful.
3: Speaking of IPCI,
0: that's a um, program that you've been involved with since the beginning and you're
3: currently the international chair. Isn't that correct? Yes. Uh, we're still going, we're waiting to see what's going to happen with the government, uh, new people, uh, Actually, the Brazilian government, um, IBAMA has actually a Pernambuco working group, which was established, I believe, uh, last year, um, I think in the fall or late summer, and it was trying to bring together all the stakeholders of Pernambuco and uh, have a conversation, uh, open and candid conversation, transparent conversation with the Brazilian government. And they will have another meeting in, in the middle of April. And uh, and they have asked for our participation. I think that's pretty nice that they ask us because mm-hmm. it is their resource. But maybe we can give them some help with things. It's amazing how many people are involved in this.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: It's just never
0: ending.
1: So, guys, we also had a lot more, as I said, a lot more drama that I want To have happened with the presidential election that happened in Brazil, uh, I was not able to look away as things unfolded. So, I'm going to throw a lot of facts at you guys so you understand uh, just this part of what is happening um, in this country. So, Jair Bolsonaro was the incumbent president who is known for many things, but for the purpose of this episode, his presidential track record was surging deforestation. He cut funding for Obama, and despite his followers claiming this is fake news, there is documented evidence of major forest-clearing fires, so big that they were recorded by satellites. The rainforest was cleared at a rate of about three football fields per minute in 2022. Now, I do want to clarify that this section where we get Pernambuco and the Amazon rainforest are not the same location. However, they are under the same rules in the same country. So when I talk about deforestation, this is something that affects the whole of the country. We also have uh, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, known as Lula. Uh, He was also president several years ago, and deforestation actually plummeted under his rule. So from the purpose of just trees We have a clear person we're swinging for. Uh, So the two faced off in a runoff election on October 30th, and it was thought that Lula would win easily. Uh, And it was, in fact, uncomfortably close with 60 million voting Lula and 58 million voting Bolsonaro, the closest election in Brazil to date. Weeks before election date, Bolsonaro made several allegations of election fraud. And after the vote, He asked their superior election court to invalidate voting results from several voting machines. The court not only rejected his request, but fined his party for millions of dollars for bad faith litigation. Lula was sworn in the 1st of January, and Bolsonaro did not attend because he was at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. One week later, Bolsonaro followers attempted to storm the capital city of Brasilia, which included the offices of National Congress, the Supreme Federal Court, and the Presidential Palace. So, what's happened since Lula came to power? Well, at the time of this recording, he's not been in office very long, just a couple months. And the efforts to stop deforestation have been described as a Herculean effort. Uh, At this time, he is attempting to beef up Obama again. Brazil just approved funds to double the agency's enforcement budget from last year. Uh, There are other countries that are stepping up with money and help to uh, increase our efforts going on with stopping deforestation. Uh, So the fight is moving in the right direction. However, it is unlikely that there will be noticeable improvements to the Amazon rainforest and other protected forests in Brazil until 2024. That is my update. Guys, any thoughts, anything to say about these guys?
3: Well, I I, I think that um, Lula uh, has appointed Marina da Silva back as environmental minister. She had a pretty strong record of trying to help the situation of uh, saving the environment. When I say that, I don't mean that that there's absolutely no cutting, okay? I, I, I don't yeah. think that means saving the environment, but doing things in a sustainable way. I think my, from my own experience down there, following this for over 20 years, the issue is very, very complex. Yes. Meaning the following. It's very easy for us in the developed countries who use most of the resources and we can sit here and throw money at a cause. Mm-hmm. There's the aspect of the rea- reality of the people who actually live near protected areas or live near the forest or are in certain kinds of socioeconomic status where basically they do live off the land. Yes. So that is something that has to be considered also. But I would say not only Brazil, just reading about this, but other countries that have natural resources it seems like a lot of the policies of these various governments have not been able to solve uh, this issue of uh, natural materials and how to do it in a sustainable way. This is not u- unique to Brazil. Mm-hmm. It, it is where you see it with other countries. And the other thing about this is, is the file is also not only for the violin industry, but many instruments that, that use rare woods, wind instruments and things. Generally, these are slow growing trees and they are, um, in the natural, they can take, well, some take easily 80 to a hundred years to get to maturity. So one of the things is how do we gap this? Like, okay, we, we're responsible for instance, with the Pernambuco, we're responsible for 350,000 trees being planted so far. And uh, we've seen some of these trees, some of the trees we planted already are around 20 years old. And we do know under a controlled environment, if we can get the trees to somewhere around 40, 45 years, it is possible to use that tree. And we actually experimented with plantation wood in the early two thousands, there was controversy. Actually, for this last meeting that happened in Panama, I actually we were asked by some officials, and we told them we 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 did actually try to do it, and then they were they were saying, "Well, plantation wood doesn't work." I said, "I don't know where you heard that because we we had a sample of wood that was sent out to about three or four bow makers around the world, and the bow was fine. Was it the top top level bow?" Wood quality? No, but it works. And Pernambuco as a species is the Luguminaceae family. It replicates itself very, very easily. Even the Brazilian government acknowledges Pernambuco is not going extinct. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of factors involved. And I come back to this and say the complexity of the issues. Yeah. The big one was how. We as a trade, when I say we as a trade, bow makers, dealers, shop owners, even musicians, they have to be involved in this equation now. How do we all become, A, more aware of the issues? And how can all of us do our part to help this so that we can keep keep this going for the future future generations, whether it's bow makers, musicians, shop owners?
1: Yeah. I... I have so many things I want to respond to. <laughs> sure. Uh, first of all, I'm glad you brought up uh, somebody claiming that the um, the Pernambuco that you guys are growing, someone making the claim that it's not as good, because I did read that at one point, and it sounds like what you're saying is it's perfectly fine. However, it's, it's not at peak maturity yet. No. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad to get some clarity on that. Um, so we've got the future to look forward to in that. Um, the second thing that you you keep mentioning is it, it is complex on the ground. It's one thing to make international policy. It's another thing for um, a family that lives in Brazil that is trying to make its way in the world and they have a choice between uh, – not making money off the land they own versus perhaps clearing that land, putting cattle on it and making good money with Mm -hmm. cattle. Mm -hmm. And so how do we try to provide or try to come up with a policy that actually helps with people's livelihood and can look toward the future? So um, I 100% agree. It's complicated, yeah. and I appreciate you putting in so much effort, Young.
3: Well, I think I think you you hit on what I like to just make a comment on one thing that you said. Yeah, and and uh, we are quote unquote the outsiders, the foreigners in Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. And it is ultimately up to the country, and we will help to do our part if we can help them come up with a viable policy which will work for them. And hopefully will work for us. Yeah. I do say this, though. Many developed countries or people in the developed countries think just because they have the dollars that they can tell a country how to do their policy. And uh, that does not really fly too well historically.
0: <laughs> okay? Yeah, we have
3: plenty of examples, don't we? We have plenty <laughs> of examples of that. I, I'm very aware of uh the sensitivity when you have to deal with these countries there i i will say this without any kind of names i have a lot of very 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 dear colleagues around the world and we 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 really for the most part we we get along quite well but sometimes i hear them talking and and i and i do correct them about what i just said I said no it doesn't work that way Mm -hmm. you know just because you know we have a few dollars here do you think that brazil has to listen to us no They have to do what's best for their society. If it works out for us, fine. But we have every indication by how the Brazilians have talked, especially recently, that I'm going to take them at their word from what they're saying, that they want a viable solution not only for their country, but for us, even the bow makers.
1: We're going to have to count on that. (laughs) Cross our fingers. Uh, Let's pause for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with more with Young Chen. Hello, Homo Sapiens. I'm here with Jackson Maberry. Jackson is the maker of Dr. J.G. McIntosh Rosinate oil varnish. I was wondering if you can help us understand what a rosinate varnish is and what it can do for a violin's appearance.
0: So a rosinate varnish is an oil varnish where The resin component is, instead of a natural resin, a modified rosin, in this case modified either with a metal ion attached to the molecule or a metal ion and a dye molecule attached uh, to the rosin molecule. And the big thing that it can do for you and for your violin's appearance is that because rosinates are a perfectly transparent delivery vehicle for color, they allow you a great deal of flexibility when it comes to the overall look of your finished instrument.
1: Guys, to get more wonderful J.G. McIntosh Rosinate Oil Varnish products, you can visit woodfinishingenterprises.com. Thanks, Jackson.
0: Thanks, Rosie. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So the third thing we need to talk about is the raid that is an operation that's been happening by the federal police and Obama since 2018. Um, In a bid to crack down on Brazil wood smuggling, Brazilian authorities launched Operation Do-Re-Mi, Do-A-Deer, anyway, they started that in 2018. Since then, officers have confiscated almost 150,000 bows, that's finished bows, and wooden sticks from 33 bow makers, who together have been fined over $10 million for trading in undocumented wood. According to records from the Environmental Investigation Agency, IBAMA, the IBAMA fa- officials stated it is evident a group of bowmakers have formed a large gang specialized in extracting Brazil wood from protected areas, transforming it into bows, and trading it abroad. IBAMA officials wrote this in multiple reports related to Operation Do calling for the urgent involvement of the public prosecutor's office. And the federal police to deepen investigations into the destructive actions of these criminals. On November 8th, officials from the federal police and Obama raided 37 properties connected to what they described as criminal as a criminal group of bow makers as a part of the operation. And this was right before the VSA. So that was definitely keeping us all on the edges of our seats um, the police declined to confirm if these included any of the people and companies identified by the reporters because their investigation is still ongoing. Um, we're not going to mention names today as Rosie mentioned. Um, and this is, this whole episode is by no means pointing fingers. So just as we discussed, you know, we are outsiders here um, and Honestly, if we're playing a Pernambuco bow, we've had a good hand in this. So um, we'll just go ahead and say that. But this Operation Do Re Mi is, I mean, it's affecting a lot of people. I mean, a lot of companies have lost huge amounts of resources or have had huge amounts of resources tied up now for years. And quite honestly, it's kind of crippling (laughs) the bows that we can get into our shops these days, too which is why we're having this conversation. Young, do you have anything to add to the Operation Do Re Mi? Would you like to sing it for us? Uh, Do re... No, do re (laughs) mi. No. (laughs) Do ti la so.
3: Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Getting those low notes in there.
3: This this is an investigation which actually we... uh, When I say we... uh, meaning those of us outside of Brazil, we really only found out about it for real in 2022 in the springtime. It's actually when we found out a lot of information. We in the trade had heard rumors over the past several years about investigations. Nothing was ever really, um, when we asked, nothing was clarified as it did happen or it didn't happen. So when Obama released some information when the press in Brazil had several articles about this. We saw it was for real that this investigation had gone on. In fact, they had wiretapped people, they had checked electronic format for people who were selling stuff on wood. So, wow. Uh, the officials got the names of the seller, and not only the seller, but all of the people who are buying wood. So of course that extended into the into Europe and the United States. We do know that this information by the federal police in IBAMA were, and I believe is still being shared with authorities outside of Brazil. So I would assume the US and into the EU. When we look at this situation, it's it's a very difficult uh, situation, and I when you when Brandon when you are talking about something you were saying well, so that we can't get any bows now. I and you mean modern bows out of Brazil? Modern bows so, out of Brazil. Yeah. Um, in truth, the investigation of Pernambuco in particular involving the Brazilian companies have gone on since the early two thousands. There have been uh police raids, inspections, there was even congressional hearing type thing called CPI into this, but it never really went too far. I will say this, for those of us who went to Brazil in the beginning, meaning the late 90s, early 2000s, most of us recognized at that time, I remember specific conversations with some colleagues that high production pernambuco w- will be finished one day. What I mean large quantities, I'm talking about producing a hundred to 300 bows a month. We didn't think that was really going to be sustainable. Okay. Would it be sustainable for like many or mo- or very, very high percentage of the makers outside of Brazil or even inside of Brazil who are artisanal makers, they make less than say 20, 30 bows a year. Sure. Absolutely. That is sustainable. So there were those of us, as I said before, when we went there, we knew that this was going to be finished, meaning high production, uh, numeric values uh, of, of production. So, Now we come to the situation that where we found out last year for sure that there were a lot of investigations, basically most people we, we knew or know, and there are actually several thousand bows being held up by Obama waiting for a, the new people to come in from the election, Rosie Mm -hmm. and, uh, So now we we are starting to see some people are are being put in place, and we're going to see what kind of policies that that will come up. And again, Obama and and these officials have said they are not trying to hurt uh, or to stop a trade or uh, something that has such influence in the music community. What they have said repeatedly since the springtime of 2022 is that You know this aspect of going into protected forests and taking out pernambuco trees and then you know calling it new wood calling new wood old wood it's got to stop all right let's be very open about this okay so brandon is right that um especially with the how the trade has flourished down there from the from the early 2000s to now there's a lot more people in the game down there who are are making bows but it all comes back to if we're going to have a sustainable trade in this thing it's going to have to be with numbers that will work with what's the materials down there okay so what is legal or not legal or you know what is salvaged material or what's not salvaged material so for those of us outside of brazil there, there's, you know, there's really no excuse, right? We, we all know we have a huge problem. Yeah. And I think it is incumbent on all of us. I repeat this again. We should do our part when we should not. We need to support the policies in Brazil that will help them be able to have a sustainable growth of Pernambuco and not participate in those who sell illegal product. Because in the United States, we have something called the Lacey Act, I know you both know about that and you can talk about it later, but the Lacey act basically is that if something is illegal in one country in another country, and, but it's not illegal here, the U S government can use the Lacey act to go after you, which happened with, in, with some of the guitar stuff, as you know. Hmm. So, um, at the same time, I will say this, I do feel pretty strongly. And, uh, this might sound strange. I actually see the the situation that we have, meaning uh, I'm speaking specifically about Pernambuco now. I feel pretty strongly that everybody wants a success. We want to be able to use the material. I actually think CITES, believe it or not, would like to see a success story, not just putting something on Appendix 1, then you forget about the species, in truth, when you put something on Appendix One, it only fuels the black market. Doesn't doesn't really, help. it doesn't do much. And, but I think that if we can all work together, CITES can have a success story. And more importantly, I think Brazil themselves, and maybe, and they will feel good about it and, and have a success story that, hey, here we have a model where we can really have a system where once the tree's put in, it grows. We can res- register the tree and follow it from the day that it's cut down. Selective harvesting, by the way, and track that till the finished product. The technology exists to do this. It takes time. You've got to have the people in place. And obviously, it takes money, right? And we have to involve even the large wood dealers, Okay. I myself have been very critical of large wood dealers, but they're part of the, of the landscape. And we have to try uh, to incorporate them because if, if you don't, still, they're, they're very active players in this, right? We want to work in a legal way so that it makes it better for all of us. Yeah.
1: You were mentioning methods to better track our product. I think, Brandon, you had a question about that as well.
0: Yeah, well, the I mean, you highlight something very optimistic here, which is we are all talking about this. What are some uh, pieces of advice you have for like makers, shop owners? What should we be doing? Because I, even since we did the first Pernambuco episode, I've had you know some close friends who are bow makers saying, "Well, what's the what's the next step?" (laughs) Uh You know, um, especially people who are sitting on piles of wood that they've got from you know a maker who passed away who had got it from a maker who maybe
3: passed away too, you know. Okay, so let's move this back to 2007. In 2007, when Pernambuco became listed on Appendix 2, some countries required uh, registration of stocks. For instance, like the Germans, they all had to register their stock. They're one of the few countries that actually did it. United States U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Site, which is part of CITES, did not ask for this. They asked for a voluntary registration, which many of us did probably 60 to 70% of us did. So what measures can we use going forward? I, I'm going to break this down, Brandon, the following way. Let, let's talk about shop owners. Okay. Shop owners. If you have Brazilian bows, whatever's in the country now, it's in the country. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you have, whether it's Rosie or you, whoever has Brazilian bows, you should make a uh, inventory, whether and uh, uh, or if you have receipts from who you bought it from, or entered in your register or how you ever do your books. Say as of February twenty third, it's it's past that, but it's only a few days, and there's no bows coming out of Brazil now, so it doesn't matter. You should make a a a declaration. Which, this is what I did. I said, I got X amount. I don't have very many of them left. I only got like 12 bows from Brazil. I said, And I wrote down, I have th- five bows, this, five bows of this and two of this. And I got it notarized. I went and I had this notarized. Also, I keep it in my register. I keep a, a, a clear account of it. And then I also have receipts from when I bought those bows. So that's what sho- shop owners should do. Why should you do this? in case in 3 years time we are not so fortunate and a pernambuco goes to appendix one the strictest control you will have this documentation and basically you still will be able to most likely be able to do something with it so it's a, it's just a, it's a it's a measure to protect yourself
1: so um if i may sure uh you mentioned that it's best if this was done before february 24th we're past that date so people hearing this now middle of march
3: you still can do it
1: okay just the the sooner the better yes okay um and one technical question i've got a bow upstairs that's in three pieces should i document that one too
3: three pieces
1: (laughs) yeah I might fix it one day. Does that qualify?
3: Some people have done. They just take their phone and and photographed everything. So you photograph it. The date is there. Good. The point is this: because there's nothing coming out of Brazil right now. There's no boats coming out. There nothing is going to come out legally until the policy is set. Right. So we are going to start having meetings in the beginning, in the middle of April. So we probably won't know till the early summer what the policy will be.
0: Do you think we should document any Brazilwood bows we have, like old Brazilwood, if we have
3: piles sure. of those too? Sure, some of the bows are unstamped. I'm look; it's pretty easy to tell for the most part. You know what's old, what's an old bow, or you know a new bow. I mean, in your case, you just look on your arm. You got a bow there, right? A- an elbow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, Did you want to add anything else to um, uh, advice for makers or for um, uh, musicians?
3: Yeah. So makers, makers, obviously, they should just take an inventory of their stocks. If if it's on your letterhead, a shop owner's letterhead or a a statement and then uh, get it notarized or again, just use photos if you want. A lot of people have done that. So that will show you what your stock is of that of this date and in case, again, in case it gets bad in three years' time, you, this will be the, be the proof that, hey, I own this now, before. that—that mm-hmm. That is the point. Musicians are being asked to do the same thing. And you know something that a lot of people don't understand, they hear this, oh, we got so many problems and this, and you know who had the real problem? The Brazilian bow makers. Every bow will have to have a documentation. Okay, once it's clear Brazil, it's it's free to travel in the world. No documentation is, is necessary. I tell this to my colleagues who have been complaining. I said, you don't like to do this, but hey, we don't have to do this. I said, okay, most of us have older stocks of wood too. But I will say something that Brandon has alluded to. We have some responsibility into this. This is not only pointing fingers say oh this is a brazilian bow making problem no we have a problem this involves newer makers or those who are buying woods that have come out in the last 15 years of course it was legal before but since you know this 2007 if you didn't have the documentation well it's kind of illegal maybe that's maybe not (laughs) so legal huh so i feel very strongly and i again not to point fingers. We're all in this together. Well, yeah, it is pretty optimistic, really. Like
0: I said, we're all talking about it now. So we're moving forward. Um, and we're moving forward together because we are all in this, you know. Um, just to kind of close out, and as we're looking forward, and, you know, you're saying that production, like mass production, will not be a thing in the future of Pernambuco Bows. Is there a product out there or products that you're excited about?
3: Yeah, so Brandon, that's a good question. I think that, if I may, before I answer, just say this: what you just said will apply to to all music of the whole trade, percussion instruments, woodwind instruments. They all are having the same problems, Mm -hmm. and maybe you know. Again, I, I repeat this theme that I've been saying: we need to all rethink this along the whole chain of users makers is it necessary let's talk about pernambuco a 6 year old has to be playing a pernambuco bow
1: yeah
3: and most of the time it's not very good the bow right mm-hmm. right but for me the future there will come other materials i think that bamboo could easily fulfill a certain niche in the market maybe like under $1500 range mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And a colleague of mine, Rodney Moore, has been has started this, and he's he's doing some pretty interesting stuff. And I think it is the future.
1: I can't wait to get my hands on one of those.
3: <laughs> it's self so sustainable, right? It's just <laughs> it, it really grows so fast. I'm sure the Chinese will get into this, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, bamboo comes from there. maybe maybe it won't be as refined as Rodney's product, but I think bamboo is a very strong contender. And you raise a good point
0: just with that and the responsibility. I mean, something that I know Rosie, you and I have talked about since we started talking about Pernambuco is, you know, how quick are we going to be to put a Pernambuco hand in every player's or Pernambuco bow in every player's hand. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something, I mean, right now the constraint is I don't have stuff under a certain price range to show people that's Pernambuco. So relying heavily on carbon fiber for under a thousand, um, except for those piles of german bows that i'm starting to actually open the boxes on and start to fix up yeah you know like the the west german stuff that's just been piling up for years that is actually good and for those players it's great now a, a carbon fiber bow might work better for them though so it's just really thinking about the utility factor under a certain price range until they can recognize it and you know, it really transforms their playing. So I'm I'm approaching business differently now.
3: I would say, Brandon. I mean, I I've not been ever been a big fan of 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 carbon fiber because for me they're they don't have the greatest spectrum of sound. They're very one dimensional. Yeah. And um, you know, it's fishing rod technology. So it, it's I like wood. Okay. I've I I I've always been a big proponent of wood let's not
1: forget that it's uh, made from uh, petroleum.
3: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that has its own issues. Okay. And I, and I think in the whole spectrum of what we're trying to do with music and art, I would feel better. And I'm sure this, this bamboo product will, will become something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's sustainable also in that, we don't need it to grow for 100 years or 80 years. But I think even there's been talk of other woods like Ipe, but then you don't want to just shift over the demand and just create the same thing with Ipe, like with Pernambuco. Because in Ipe, Ipe, there's only a few species that are really good. There's hundreds of species of Ipe. My point is all of us have to be, think this and understand, not everybody... Should use a pernambuco bow yeah okay it's it's a simple thing it's it's not required when you're a little kid,
1: yeah, I think we are at a place where we do need to wrap up. I do want to mention that young has been twice as gracious with his time as other guests because we lost the original recording and had to do this again. so thank you, young for. The surfeit of time <laughs> that you've given us, and <laughs> and I got to hear you laugh in this episode, and I really like your laugh. So I I enjoyed this time with you. Um, I I enjoyed what you are providing for the community. Uh, you're giving us a lot of clarity, and you are fighting a good fight. So thank you, Young Chen.
3: Yeah, Rosie and uh, Brandon, thank you. I appreciate uh, doing this. Actually, again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I want to thank both of you for what you're doing because I think it's a, a very important outreach uh, that can uh, touch a lot of people. So th- I should say thank you to you. Thank you. Thanks. This is, this is, this
0: is, this is, this
1: is, and this is the Kodak. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you all for listening and tuning in and being part of the greater Team Omo. And (laughs) I appreciate your ears. I want to say with news of Team Omo, we've got now that we've had Elizabeth Perry join, and we have just recently Catherine Kidwell, who has agreed to do our social media and is doing really beautiful work, we have a team of six now, Brandon.
0: Whoa. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We got like a, a full crew. And 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 I like that it's half fellows and half ladies. That makes me super happy. Yeah, that
0: means that just means that we're no longer gonna be able to rent a Prius when we go on road trips.
1: As we did regularly. <laughs> <laughs> it's very upsetting. <laughs>
0: Dang it. Pull out the Volkswagen bus, y'all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I also want to give a special thank you to our sponsors who helped make this project happen. Uh, a few months back, we were able to buy some fairly expensive editing software that Jason Peoples needed to upgrade into, and we could actually afford to do it. It didn't come out of our pockets. For those of you out there who are our Patreon subscribers and pay a little bit every month, um, it's it makes a difference. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We're so appreciative. Um, I also want to mention that the new opener, you may have heard in our last episode, and now it's here to stay, Uh, it was mixed by Jason and compiled by people who attended the VSA conference in Anaheim in November, who allowed me to stick my phone in their face while they said, this is OMO.
0: There were some good ones too.
1: You you were one of those people.
0: <laughs> and I think I was probably hoarse at that time because it was at the end of the week. So I was like, this is a
1: <laughs> It sounds lovely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you want to tell them what we've got coming up in April?
0: Yes. In April, we have another dive into restoration. Uh, Jerry Lynn and Elizabeth Perry will be exploring beyond the Blue Book, um, basically covering what advances... Have been made in restoration since the blue book came out. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited about that because it is gonna be a good episode. Yeah,
1: and we tentatively have some really, really cool guests, but Jerry Jerry doesn't wanna say who until he knows that they can successfully record <laughs> with
0: him. Yes. yes. So we're so waiting we, on we, that. We're gonna let Jerry spill the beans when it yeah, when they're meant to be spilled.
1: Yeah. And finally, in May, uh, Jerry and Jason are going to talk even bigger than Parnambuco. What is the state of tone wood in general today? Um, the things that we discussed here in this episode, um, even Young said it like, like, this is not just about one kind of wood, this is much bigger. And so, we're going yeah. to try to open up that exploration, uh, sourcing ebony, maple, spruce, et cetera. Is it sustainable? What does the future look like? So, guys, thank you, thank you for being a part of the Homo Sapien community. Have a great day. Thank you,
0: Young Chin. Yeah,
1: we'll see you next time. Bye.
0: Bye. Homo is an all luthier podcast produced by Rosie DeLoach, Brandon Godman, Jason Peoples, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples. Music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com omopod, where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out at mail at or call the Omophone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening. This
3: is